Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and as always, this is my intrepid co-host. I am Chris Huddleston. And today, we are very excited to be talking to you about the 19-something movie, Basic Instinct. What's your new book about? A detective who falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Stay away from her! You are out of control, Kurt! You won't learn anything I don't want you to know. She knew I'd say she did it, and she knew that nobody would buy it. She is screwing with your head, Nick! She knows things about me that I only told you. How's it feel to kill someone? Okay. So, do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddlestone? I do. Uh, Basic Instinct is a 1992 film directed by Paul Verhoeven of Robocop, um, Total Recall, and uh, something else. I forget. Uh, I don't remember. Something else big that he did. Uh, It stars Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone, and here is the Synopsis. A former rock star, Johnny Boz, is brutally killed during sex, and the case is assigned to Detective Nick Curran of the SFPD. During the investigation, Nick meets Catherine Trammell, a crime novelist, it might have been Trammell, a uh, crime novelist who was Boz's girlfriend when he died. Catherine proves to, proves to be very clever and a manipulative, manipulative woman. And though Nick is more or less convinced that she murdered Boz, he is unable to find any evidence. Later, when Nilsson, Rick's ni- rival in the police, is killed, Nick suspects of Catherine's involvement in it. He then starts to play a dangerous, lust-filled mind game with Catherine to nail her, but as their relationship progresses, the body count rises, and contradicting evidence force Nick forces Nick to start questioning his own suspicions about Catherine's guilt. Yeah, that's yeah. very thorough. That's... Um... Yeah, that says a good bit about it. I think without uh, without giving too much away. So, what did you uh, what did you think of this one, Chris? Well, I, I saw this in the early '90s when it came out, and I remember enjoying it. And since then, it's faded almost entirely from my mind, except for the sort of notorious uh, 
interrogation scene where she uncrosses her legs and everybody loses their mind. Um, but I really enjoyed the movie. I mean, rewatching it, I thought it was extremely entertaining, certainly compared to, you know, we, we do kind of genre stuff and B stuff and things we remember as being kind of campy and kitschy and crazy. Um, and this is actually a legit Hollywood success. It was, um, you know, it was a, it was a big studio movie. And I, I thought, you know, there's a lot I want to talk about uh, in it with you that I think in 2020 plays differently than it probably did in the early nineties. But, um, Good performances, you know, good script, kept moving right along, you know, as um, it kept me guessing. Like, I really wasn't sure who was playing what angle at what time. I, I was, I really enjoyed watching it again. What about yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Same, same for me as well. I, like you said, I have a lot to say, uh, a lot of thoughts on this. So if I ramble too much, just uh, stop me and interrupt me. Um, so like you, I had, I didn't see this in the theater. I saw this on video and, you know, I was like 19, something like that when I saw this. And it's interesting to me to kind of revisit these movies that were movies, you know, geared towards adults, which I mean, 19, you're an adult, but looking back, you're a kid basically. And whereas now, so you and I are the same age as what, um, Michael Douglas was when he made this movie, um, which, you know, just feels kind of weird, but everybody in the, everybody working in this, I feel like was at the top of their game. You've got, um, as we said, it was, uh, Paul Verhoeven starship troopers was the other movie that I was trying to think of, There you go. but, uh, you know, the direction in this is fantastic. All of the the camera work is great. I love the way the camera moves around. Michael Douglas, he's, I don't know how you feel about Michael Douglas, but you know, eighties and nineties, he was definitely one of my favorite actors and he's, this is kind of peak Michael Douglas. Um, Sharon Stone is great in this. And that's another yeah, thing. Really is. Looking back as an adult at the time, I, you know, uh, Sharon Stone was the sex symbol. And when she did this movie, she was 34 well, when you're 18, 19 years old, somebody 34, it's like they're old in your mind, right? So, you know, I knew at the time, you know, she was an attractive woman and all that. But I think I looked at her as almost like, you know, she could be your mom or whatever. You and were then, more interested in 15-year-olds at that time. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know that I say that. But but uh, um, but now looking back, it's just like, wow, she was a crazy, beautiful woman. She was dynamite. Yeah. 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 And she does such a great acting job in it. Um, you, I want to ask you, well, I want to yeah. ask you a question about her performance. Have you seen, do you have in your mind other performances she's given? Um, for example, the wife in Total Recall. Um, yeah, she was. Is another one that we would have both seen. I think back then, well, she did Total Recall. She did another one of these erotic thriller type things called sliver. I don't know if you ever saw that one or not, but nope. that was around the time of this. And I think back then I thought she wasn't a very good actor, but she was great in this. I felt she was great in this. I I'm inclined to think of her as not a very good actor, although competent, but not, mm -hmm. but, but watching this performance 
I was like, she is dynamite in this movie. I think if you watch the first half of the movie, I was just kind of marveling at her because I thought this is such a compelling portrayal of a psychopath. Yeah. Right? No empathy, very intelligent, extremely charismatic, manipulative. You know, I don't, not all psychopaths, um, as I read, not all psychopaths are like this. Most psychopaths, certainly violent psychopaths, are disorganized. Um, and their their compulsions end up kind of escalating until, you know, they're kind of caught because they can't keep things together. Like the Hannibal Lecter psychopath is a very rare animal indeed. Mm-hmm. Somebody that is organized enough to stay one step ahead of everybody else. But when you when you get those people, they're extremely difficult to catch, right? Mm-hmm. And I and so that's why you see them on screen so often because they're a particularly terrifying kind of monster. And I thought for the first half of this movie, I was like, this is a slam dunk performance, right? Because she's rubbing it in their faces, you know. She's really flaunting the fact that they can't pin this to her. Mm-hmm. As we get to the later parts of the movie, and particularly the final act of it, when her other lover, and I forget the actor's name who played her live-in female lover, um, her name, dies. Yeah, her name is... Uh, it's like Le- Leilani Sorel. Her character okay. is named Roxy, but yeah, she's her girlfriend. And she's crying. Uh, you know, I, there's a moment there where, in, in my reading of it, that he, he, um, Michael Douglas' character is sitting there with her, and she's crying about the loss of her friend. Uh, and I think he comes to the house wondering if she's put her friend up to it. Um, and he can't tell whether she's sincerely crying or not. And I think in the scene, he decides that she is sincerely crying. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't convinced that she was sincerely crying, but I also wasn't convinced that she wasn't. And I thought if she was sincerely crying, that would actually be kind of out of character. So by the end of it, when she decides not to, spoiler alert, obviously, when she decides not to kill him, right? But we Mm -hmm. do see that she has the ice pick and it has been basically her all along. We know that from the beginning, but... I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. So there's this kind of crazy ending where these two essentially bad guys, right? Bad actors. He shoots people. He shot multiple people and sort of gotten away with it ostensibly in the line of duty or because of alcohol abuse or whatever. And she has deliberately murdered a number of people over the course of her life. And the two of them kind of end up together and she decides not to kill him and they the credits roll and it's supposed to be this kind of creepy, you know, air quotes here, happily ever after of these two that find each other and it's the black widow doesn't sting. Right. But I I was like, what, you know, the character that we meet in the beginning of this movie that is capable of these things, isn't a woman first. You know, I thought there was something kind of, 
deeply misogynistic in thinking that the person in the beginning of the movie could become this kind of softer version of herself, you know, that, that kind of settled down. Exactly. Because that's not, you know, psychopaths aren't just kind of pent up, wound up, overexcited. You know what I mean? They're, Mm -hmm. it just didn't feel like it was the same, um, plausible reality to me by the end. Does that make any sense? Yeah, Yeah. Did you, did that feel like a like they changed tune there in like the final third of the movie? You you kind of wonder if that was the original script or if it was a test screening thing, you know, that they want it to be like you said, kind of quote unquote a happy ending. Well, I don't know. It's it certainly turns the expectation on its ear, mm-hmm. right? Because not, they do this at three times. This is the at least the third time where. In the film, the murder trope is she ties the guy's hands to the bed and she is, um, they're having sex and she is atop him and she reaches back behind her and, and gets a an ice pick and then stabs him repeatedly in the, you know, neck, face, chest, you know, just multiple puncture wounds with brutal with an ice pick. And there's at least two times when you think this is it and they're in that position and she sort of reaches back and then she lunges forward like she's going to stab him, but, oh, she doesn't have an ice pick. It's just the throes of ecstasy, right? And you think, oh, my God, I was sure she was going to kill him there. And then it happens again. And at the end of the movie, you're like looking at your watch and you're like, okay, we're at the end of the movie time. This is the final scene. This is now she's going to kill him, right? But she doesn't. And then they sort of cuddle and then the camera sort of like ominously drifts to the side and we see that there ah there's the ice pick at the last moment she must have decided not to kill him and the feeling that i i feel like it's leaving you with is these two were made for each other <laughs> and i was like what yeah <laughs> you know, i mean i understand the impulse of the filmmaker to like aha not what you expected but then you're like, oh, you got me. But then I'm like, wait, what happened? <laughs> so they're these two just. It felt like a very 80s concept to me, like, you know, uh, we're going to stay one step ahead of the suckers and get in our, you know, very Wolf of Wall Street attitude, like because we're smarter and better. No one can stop us. And we yeah. deserve these awesome things because we're superior. Yeah. And you, you also know, drive into the sunset. You also have. Um, kind of like you were saying that it's there's some misogyny going on that it's almost like she's this and this is maybe not exactly the right terminology because she's this psychopathic killer but it's like on the one hand you can look at it as she's this very strong woman that outsmarts all these men you know they just kind of don't know what to do with her, but it's like Michael Douglas is the guy who finally breaks her, you know, and she's now she's going to, you know, she's not going to be a murderer anymore. She's going to. Right. He fixed her. He fixed her. Yeah. After a week or whatever, you know, however long, whatever the time frame of the movie is, you know, and and the, the script is more explicitly misogynistic early on in a way. It's like, come on, sweetheart, you know, come down and answer a few questions kind of thing. And then I go, 
hey, baby, looking good. You know, there's a lot of that of mm-hmm. objectifying. And it works with the Sharon Stone character because she's using she's using that. You know, yeah. that's one of the very many things that she uses to manipulate. And that's why that they call her down at the station as she comes down and does that leg crossing thing where she's not wearing underwear, right? And everybody um, in the room sort of goes into a flop sweat. They just can't handle, you know. But she's got them all on a leash. And I think that's why the scene is so iconic, not just because it was racy, but because her performance in that, she is really the puppet master in that room. Yeah. And, and... All of these guys, these condescending, leering guys are really just, you know, eaten out of her hand because she's so much she's so far ahead of them. Right. And I thought that was really kind of I thought that was really interesting, smart filmmaking in a way. It just which made the ending seem almost exactly more confusing because. So she, why she didn't kill him because now she's in love with him? Like, is she even capable of that? Like, exactly. Have you seen anything yeah. that this character, and to the point where when Roxy tries drives her car and tries to kill Michael Douglas and inadvertently kind of swerves and and, and goes over a thing and crashes and kills herself, right? Um, he goes to he goes to Sharon Stone's character's house certain that she has put Roxy up to it Mm -hmm. and then seems sort of flabbergasted when I feel like it's supposed to be a genuine moment where he sees this vulnerability in her and that's what didn't ring true to me I would believe it if it was an act an utterly convincing act but from there on to the rest of the movie it seems not to be right and I just thought I, I just couldn't get my head around that. It didn't seem like the same person. Mm, yeah, I agree. And and I definitely would say I'd agree that the the ending or is is definitely the weakest part, I would say. I think cuz then you're saying so are we glorifying a couple of murderers? Are we celebrating this? Cuz it is it's in the shape of a happily ever after ending. Right? Yeah. They're in bed postcoital. There's a sort of a dreamy drift to the camera, right? It there's an uh, uh, there's an ominousness to the reveal of the of the ice pick, but she didn't kill him. And and the conversation they were having right before is like, you know, so we'll you know we'll get married and have a bunch of rugrats and live happily after after. And she's like, I, I hate kids or something. And he's like, All right, so you know we'll just have a lot of sex, skip the rugrats, and live happily ever after. And then she doesn't stab him. And mm-hmm. so you're supposed to be like, that's her signing off on that, and they're going to sail off into the sunset? What What are we saying with this movie? Are we saying that that's what society rewards and promotes? Is this a, is this a critique, a social critique in the way his other films have been? Because that's not so explicitly pointed in this as it is in, say, Starship Troopers or RoboCop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know you're it's never did you ever really feel like she is a villain in the movie? I mean she's not really painted as because you're you're going well, through a, the movie like she's in the, a murderer. The, she's a murderer 
but Matt, multiple serial murderer. But you know the the movie plays this game with you. So the the opening scene where she stabs the guy to death, um, her her face is obscured by her hair. So right. you're not a hundred percent sure if it's her or not. And you know I I think the movie wants you to be guessing the entire time. And so, were you know, you, the, were you guessing the entire time? No, but I mean, I think the movie wants you to, you know, because it they set it up to where it could be the um, yeah. the other woman, you know, played by uh, Gene Triplehorn. And and I don't think you're I don't think you're meant to dislike her. Do you? I mean, are, do you think you're supposed to hate her as you're watching the film? I, I think that I felt like the audience is supposed to feel about her the way that Michael Douglas feels about her, which is at first kind of angry that someone is getting away with this stuff and flaunting it, and very quickly thereafter intrigued and attracted to this person, right? And as the late stages of the movie, um, we're supposed to like... I think in that scene where we see her vulnerability, we're supposed to come around and be like, oh, she's just, you know, she was just scratching people because they were pulling her tail too hard, you know? Yeah. She's really a sweet... I never bought that for a second. You know, I thought right. her performance was electrifying and magnetic, and I couldn't take my eyes off of that performance for the first half. It's so polished and smug and mm-hmm. all of these great things, like, you know, short of saying I did it, she admitted to it on every possible occasion, uh, knowing that nobody could, that would never stand up in court and no one could pin it to her. And I just thought that was, that was really dynamite. Yeah. Um, but I never, I didn't really feel scared of her. Like I didn't, she's no. not, like she's coming after us. And I didn't. I didn't want, you know, when they when they showed the murders, they're they're violent. Uh, they are uh, that first one is shocking, and uh, you know I don't like to see that on screen. So I didn't want her to kill other people. Um, she kills his Michael Douglas's partner. I didn't want that guy to die because you really like him. He's very likable. Yeah, you know? I, I don't I don't want there to be. I'm not rooting for her, Mm-mm. but. You know, I would say in Silence of the Lambs, there's a part of you that's kind of rooting for Anthony Hopkins in a perverse way. Like, it's not, you don't really get attached to the people you see him kill. And his performance is so, <laughs> if you'll pardon the pun, is so delicious <laughs> that, that you know, when he gets loose, you just want to see him out in the big wide world and the kind of crazy stuff he's going to do. And with her... I wasn't afraid of her. I I wasn't rooting for her. I was just enjoying watching it all play out until I felt like they tried to bend it into a shape it didn't sustain. Mm-hmm. Do you um, th- and I I Michael Douglas gives a great performance too, but I didn't find him super likable. Um I because, didn't want yeah, him to die, right? He's but, he's really cocky. So he's a little bit like her in a way where he's very cocky and very smug. You know, he's kind of an asshole really. But I think, you know, uh, Michael Douglas himself is able to bring through enough likability that maybe if it were a different actor, you'd just be like, I don't like this guy. He's just an asshole. But you know what I mean? He's he's yeah. he's just charming 
and you know he doesn't cross over the line too much of being just somebody that you would hate so you're still you're still rooting for him i wonder if with her if as the audience if if they're trying to kind of make you complicit in a way where it's almost like maybe the statement is like if somebody is desirable enough you can almost overlook anything you know you could get sucked into like this cop is just because she's just irresistible basically you know because he has this there's another thing that's just a a movie thing that's funny to me you have a guy who's just a cop so it's not like he's rich or anything so you have, you know, this beautiful woman that he meets and maybe falls in love with him. But you also have Gene Triplehorn, this other beautiful woman who is totally in love with him. You know, <laughs> I always think that's funny where it's just like, OK, you know, he's yeah, just a regular the, cop guy. These women are just falling for him. You know, back to the misogynistic thing. Um, the Gene Triplehorn character is complicated, too, because she carries a torch for him she also enables him right and she's there's this sort of and she's the psychiatrist um (laughs) and there's several points in the movie and i don't have them listed out where i feel i feel like she's wildly unprofessional (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's like the fact that she is continuing to treat this guy after they had a relationship i'm like uh no recuse yourself from me that's that good practice right so i thought she seems like a terrible uh psychiatrist at least in regards to this particular patient um but then the the way they twisted around where she was you know the sharon stone character sort of spins it so she ref- she's writing a new book she writes a book that basically details a character that the f- femme fatale in the book murders and that's we 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 find out this first murder that starts it off is uh detailed in a very literally in a book that she wrote some time ago and that she tells uh michael douglas as she's you know interacting with him throughout the movie that she's working on a new book and that she's using him as the detective in the book and then we find out that the name of the book is shooter and he's been you know in the crosshairs so to speak of internal affairs for a shooting and we don't really know the details do we we don't really it's find that he out shot the a couple of of tourists they said we don't know where they're but from we don't or like that, we yeah. don't really know uh, under what circumstances right it, it didn't it clearly wasn't a cut and dried clean shooting or he wouldn't be you know and there he's not drinking but then he starts drinking again in the course of the film and there's an internal affairs guy that's really on him about it who keeps calling him Shooter. So the name of her book is Shooter, and she we discover at the end that she has manipulated circumstances around as such that he, she has planted in his mind that this therapist with whom he's had an on-again, off-again relationship was actually this sort of single white female stalker to her when they were in college mm-hmm. and that it was actually her doing all this, trying to pin it on Sharon Stone. And so at just the right time, he's found his partner dead and bloody and she comes out of the doorway and he's in just the right state and 
Gene Triplehorn, the shrink's character, reaches into her pocket and he somebody says shooter, right? And I, I thought that's brilliant to have someone say that right there because shoot her, right? Yeah. And so he she reaches into her pocket and we find out later it's just for like a pe- I don't know, a keys. pencil or keys. And but he shoots her. And it kills her, right? And sort of fulfills the prophecy of that book, Shooter. But rather than being, I mean, I guess I'm spacing. He's somehow exonerated for that, or they, or we don't find out. Well, because they find, um, they the cops get there and they go in the stairwell, and there is a. Right. Um, there's a jacket, a like an overcoat kind of a thing, and a wig. Right. Yes. And it's a, it's a cop issue jacket. So they j- so it's just like, oh, she was the killer all along. Gene it was her. Was. Yeah. Right. So it's just like he's, yeah, he's just exonerated. Yeah, because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, he's just, these people are dead. Like there's not going to be any kind of investigation. They're just going to, I mean, these that was a very- colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> not just strange people. Uh, just these were your colleagues. You not get a little, anyway. That was a very movie. movie you know. That was a very movie kind of thing where it just wrapped that all up in a bow, you know. But of the two female characters, I thought there were some uncomfortable, complicated ways in which the the you know they're both very attractive women, but one is the sort of quote unquote needy. Mm-hmm. head case and the other is this sort of blonde bombshell you know live fast you know die young type and that's the only female representation you get in this movie so which is it like you know mom or i don't know i i'm, I'm making this up as i go along but do you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely is there, yeah this is sort of this you know Guy, girl, girl, dyna- triangle, and and the women are painted in s- sort of offensively primary ways. I, I, you know, I know it was 1991, and part of this film's the film kind of does what <laughs> Sharon Stone's character does, in which you know it's all right there on its sleeve, and. When you accuse it of the crime, it's like no, no, that's uh, that's uh, that I'm doing that. It's meta. Like I'm, I'm doing that to make a point, mm-hmm. right? And you go, are you, or are <laughs> you just doing it? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, because that's how you really think, you know. Because I, I mean, I won't deny there's a lot of sex in this movie, and it is a sexy movie, but at times I feel like it does. It's exploitative with the sex, mm-hmm. and it's sort of the get-out-of-jail-free card it's issuing itself. is like, oh, but that's hot. You like that. So, I mean, come on. Even you admit that that's hot. And you're like, well, you know, congratulations, Mr. Filmmaker. That was a sexy scene, you know, and I'm not going to pretend it wasn't sexy. But you also seem to be saying that's what sexy is, and – I don't know that I'm going to let you get away with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That was something yeah. that I, that I want to go ahead. Sorry. No, no. There's, I'm thinking of the scene when earlier on he's seen, he's just met basically. He's just starting to get kind of emotionally entangled with 
um, Sharon Stone and Gene Triplehorn comes over and he effectively rapes her. Yes. And she doesn't seem to to make a big deal out of it afterwards, but she she clearly says no, and he kind of forces her, you know, and tears her clothes and, and forces himself on her. And then later they're kind of lying in bed, and she's angry at him, and she says, you know, that was different, and, you know, that wasn't making love. And she doesn't make any – I was going to say she doesn't make a federal case out of it. She doesn't make any kind of a case out of it beyond that. She's just kind of a little miffed, and it's like – it was like, oh, you know, he called but her the, a – a name the film uses her to just kind of let that slide. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I don't need everything to be politically correct. I just felt like that was an example of the movie being like, yeah, I see, no big deal. It's not always uh, crime, guys. And I was kind of like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It was an uncomfortable scene. Yeah, you know? definitely. I didn't think like, yeah, what's the big deal? I thought actually that's it. You know, this is not going to be. He, his character isn't going to have. He didn't even seem to register remorse. I don't know. Uh, it left me with a bad taste in my mouth. That scene. You also have a uh, and and this was this was something that I remembered. Uh, I didn't remember a lot about the movie itself, but I remember this controversy. And it's interesting. It, there's a lot of things about this that I think it's interesting to revisit this 30 years later and see how things have changed and how things maybe haven't changed a lot. But there's also some problematic homophobia aspects to this. And yeah, that when yeah. the movie came out, there was real controversy from gay rights groups because it was like they're presenting this, you know, is she gay? I don't know. I mean, it's more like she's bisexual, but you're pre- presenting this gay or bisexual character as being um, evil, um, evil. Yeah. And a, a murderer and all this, but the, the things that, uh, you know, are very different now. And I think maybe they wouldn't get away with in a movie is like, for example, Jean Triplehorn. So there's this thing where, you know, maybe she was obsessed with Sharon Stone in college, or maybe Sharon Stone was obsessed with her, but they slept together and Gene Triplehorn, you know, uh, Michael Douglas is is kind of interrogating Gene Triplehorn about that. And she says, well, I slept with her once, but she's like, that doesn't mean I'm gay or anything. You know, so it was yeah, very right. much like, you know, that's bad. And then also there's a scene where so this Roxy, who's the, the live in girlfriend, she uh, will watch Sharon Stone having sex with these men and um you know, Sharon Stone says she likes it, but maybe it's just that she's jealous or whatever. Well, there's uh, Michael Douglas goes to Sharon Stone's house and has sex with her. And then he gets up to go in the bathroom and, you know, he's washing his face off and he turns around and, you know, he's just naked. And this Roxy is standing there and he says, um, uh, he's like, I want to ask you something man to man, you know, and it's like they make her out like she you know, I guess she's supposed to be the, you know, the butch character or whatever. But also it's like she's this beautiful woman with long right. blonde hair and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like the way they make her like she's the, you know, sup- supposed to be more male or whatever is like she wears right. boots. You know, and like that's the only thing other than that. You know what I mean? So that was. That was definitely kind of like uh, he delivers I, I, that line, and that's just like uh, that that I has aged well. 
I definitely think that on paper, this script was more that. Mm -hmm. I think that in the direction, like the casting of that woman as Roxy, who, and her performance is very good. Uh, You know, she is kind of, she's a more solid presence. She's definitely a jealous presence. Um, And there, there is... A more of a masculinity to her, but she's hardly butch. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, um, and certainly we've seen movies where they hit some cliche over the head in, in a way that you're just like, oh, come on. Guys. Yeah. This is, you know, and I, so I think in the, in the direction of those scenes, you know, and he didn't deliver that line um, in the movie in an 80s, you know, kind of like, you know what I mean? He wasn't like landing a zinger, hmm. but he was, but he, he, they kept the line. You know what I mean? So, but they they downplayed it or they played it straight, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, instead of really hammering on it like a zinger. Uh, and I think that part that's part of the reason why the movie in 2021 doesn't feel... Stay. I can see in '91 how that would have caused waves because there wasn't that depicted on screen. Right. But it's it's stuff like the the Gene Triplehorn lines that end up clinking, whereas today it actually seems like a fairly progressive view of, you know, people who are. They have an active sex life, and they don't particularly want to fit into this box or that box. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like everything I say is a is a bad <laughs> a double on top. Right? Yeah, the taste out of my mouth, the fit in this <laughs> box or that box. I'm not intentionally doing it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think you can. You could. We've talked about the misogyny, but I think also, especially looking at this of, of a lens of from '91 or '92 or whatever. That again, it was like, you know, she sleeps with women, she sleeps with men, she doesn't care. You know, it's just again, she she's mal- like she very, manipulates them all, and yeah, she, she kills mal- a lot of them. Yeah, she man- <laughs> just man- exactly, exactly. And, and another thing with this, looking at this over, you know, that it's a thirty-year-old movie, is I think this is still shocking in a lot of ways. You know, yeah. it's yeah. do we have it? I mean the. The, oh, here's something that I wanted to ask you. I didn't figure this out until last night. Where did you watch this? Did you watch this on Netflix or did you watch it somewhere else? I think I watched it on Netflix. Because on Netflix, it's free. And uh, I didn't realize until I was looking on uh, Prime last night and it came up on there. Um, and you can only, you can buy it for $4.99. You can't rent it. You just buy it for $4.99 or $5.99 or something like that. But Prime has the unrated director's cut, which is another, it's like 25 minutes longer. Wow. 20. Um, a lot of it, times you can see a director's cut and it's like three minutes. Yeah, because it's just like they cut this and like, they cut this here. You want but, 20 bucks for another three minutes, but 20 minutes, that's a significant. Exactly. So I film. So if I was kind of bummed out, I was like, damn, I wish I'd known about this ahead of time and, and watched it. But I, but I also wanted us to be watching the, the same the version same. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I looked up what the differences are and they said, um, like this, this longer one was the European version. So they said it's even more explicit as far as the sex and the violence. 
But, wow. you know, you watch this, like the, we've alluded to this opening scene where, I mean, just the, op- it, bam, you're right in it. It's this man and woman in bed naked and she's on top of him. And then she just stabs him to death in this very, you know, a lot. very bloody, very, very, you know, a lot. <laughs> but, but I was trying to think of, and there's, you know, uh, she's fully naked. Michael Douglas is fully naked. Um, is there, and another thing, this style of movie, this erotic thriller, it doesn't really exist anymore. It, it was a thing for a while and, you know, they don't really have it now, but even like show like game of Thrones and stuff like that, that has a lot of sex. Do you think any of that is any more explicit than what's in this? No, not at I mean, all. So that it's, it's funny that you're looking like, again, you know, 29 years later or whatever. And it's like, this still has the ability to shock, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get into this and we kind of pick things apart, but I really enjoyed watching this movie. I thought it was a really good movie. I, I, I was a little confused by the, the sort of ending they tried to stuff it into because I wasn't. It wasn't, I don't mind an enigmatic ending where I'm like, oh, like uh, The Lighthouse has an enigmatic ending. Mm-hmm. And you're left to make of that what you will. And after, at the end of that movie, I didn't feel put off by that. I didn't need some cookie cutter, spoon fed, you know, meaning or conclusion. In this one, it felt like they had to tie it off in a Hollywood way. And if he was making a point about movies that tie themselves off in a Hollywood way, it didn't take the time to land that it was making a point about, you know what I mean? It just mm-hmm. felt a little rushed. And I wonder if that director's confusing. cut fleshes any of that out anymore, Maybe. or if it's yeah. just I longer mean, sex scenes or something. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't want to go buy the movie just to find that out, but mm-hmm. I am curious. I am curious because 20 minutes is a lot of footage. Yeah. For sure. Another another just kind of general thought that I had, and I've, I've been thinking about this a good bit watching some of these older 80s and 90s movies. This movie, you know, the things that are dated about it, is, as we said, you know, there are some thematic themes that are a little dated. It's 1992, so the cars obviously are older and their fashion is a little bit different and the hairdos and things like that. But other than that, you watch movies from this time frame and they're thoroughly modern as far as how they're constructed and the camera movements and all that. Whereas if you would, if you would look at a movie 30 years prior to this, so 1962, it's like a completely different universe. You know what I mean? The, the techniques that they used were so different. And I don't know if, if I just feel this way because this movie came out during my lifetime. So you know, I've sort of lived through this, but do you get that? Do you watch these movies from this era and just think like other than, you know, just change a little bit and this could be something brand new just as far as how it's shot and all of that. Do you know what I mean? Does it seem like there haven't been the kind of gigantic advancements from the eighties and nineties to today as there were well, like, if you watch a movie from the fifties or something like that, does that make sense? I, yeah, it makes sense. I don't, I don't know because I haven't really made a comprehensive study of it. I When I think of science fiction, I think of things like The Matrix where 
the technology takes a big leap. Like they invented that crazy camera array that that uh, you know a character can jump up into the air right. to do a, a flying kick, and then it kind of we go into super slow mo, and the the quote unquote camera rotates around her 180 degrees right before coming back and you know and they did that with a whole array of cameras that they used a computer to time out and or in um in t2 that liquid metal thing which if you watch now is kind of charmingly terrible looking Mm -hmm. (laughs) by today's standards by today's processing power you know but at the time i remember thinking oh my god that is cool um you know, the movies I most consistently watch are these genres that we talk about. So I sort of see it in science fiction. But barring the technology that's used in filmmaking, the techniques do seem to have I, – I mean, I guess I don't know enough about it. But you're right. right. It doesn't feel like – if you watch a movie like Easy just, Rider, it's just this open-ended, sprawling, boring, you know f- – f- exploration of like riding around on your motorcycle and living a hippie life. There's not mm-hmm. really a plot that's driving it. And there's like, yeah, man, but that's experimental. Same, man, man. I'm like, okay. okay. I, I'm, I find it boring, but good for you. And it's a seminal mm-hmm. movie and great. Good. You know, who am I to say something's right or wrong? But I think that in terms of movies that have been tested and proven, that audiences enjoy enough to buy tickets to the the formula has so kind of been clarified and people yeah. stick for the most part and then bad movies you can often see them trying to sort of stick to that formula and not being able to execute right yeah and that was definitely what i was getting at like you said the I think the advances that have happened in the last 30 years have probably been digital and, and, you know, definitely with the special effects and everything that's different. And even in movies like this, there's the, you know, we always think about CGI in terms of, Oh, it's, you know, it's a superhero fighting a superhero or a monster or whatever, but there's so many things that they're doing digitally where, you know, it's just color correction or they're putting mountains in the background that aren't really there. And those are things that all that stuff is kind of seamless now and you don't really see it. But if it's just a drama. If you do see it, they did it wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you notice that the mountains look CGI, then they did a lousy job of it. Right, exactly. But like if if they decided to remake this movie in 2012, I don't think it would look much different. You know, other than it would just be today's cars and today's fashions and all that. Right. But I, I think, think just in the term dialogue would have would some people would sand off some of that. Right. Some of that dialogue around misogyny. I get it's a police force. So people are going to crack, make cracks mm-hmm. about people, others, people's wives or this or that. Um, but. You know, and you might have a homophobic character in it. You might have an overtly misogynistic character in it, but I don't think that the entire script would feel quite so marinated in both of those things. Yeah. Um, if you remade it, and but uh, to, to be honest, I think you could go through with a red pencil and cut a line here and there, change a term here or there, you know, add something so it's not just this one line, but it's like 
both this and another thing he says and and you could sand that corner off of it you could sort of clear away that that patina the sort of i don't know it feels a little dated in its uh, mentality about those subjects i think you could clear that because the script is for the most part as i see it in the film here it's, it's pretty fast moving it's pretty tightly coiled I, you know I, I thought it was really entertaining you have this really movie. punchy dialogue that, that goes yeah. back to those kind of uh film noir roots you yep. know where the cops are yelling it's a at san each francisco other. movie which i think a lot of san francisco movies feel kind of um saggy kind of flaccid like oh yeah. we, don't we live in a beautiful city look at the bridge look at the windy streets you know, like this is not filmmaking. You know, San Francisco is a beautiful city. I used to live there. I love it. Mm -hmm. But so many San Francisco movies are just seem to rest on some imaginary set of laurels. Like we shot this in San Francisco. I'm like, yeah, we noticed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I and uh, I had and not th remembered was, that it was San Francisco. I thought it was. I just thought it was L.A. I didn't either. You know, until it started, I was I like, didn't oh, San Francisco, because it was like they. I was like, wow, these streets are really hilly. That's not Los Angeles. That's got to no. be San Francisco. There's another thing. This is slightly off from, from that. but And I don't know if this is was the era or if it was just the screenwriter or what, but a thing that made me laugh pretty hard all through it is, uh, so in the interrogation scene, um, you know, she's toying with them. And Michael Douglas jumps out of his chair and he says, you like to play games, don't you? And she says, well, I have a degree in psychology. It comes with the territory. And they make these references all through the movie that it's not just, you know, she's a psychopath and she's manipulative or whatever, but it's psychologists and people with psychology degrees right. are like wizards who get in your mind. And I, I have a degree evil, in psychology. Evil wizards, right, who, who shrink heads, right? Because, come on, basic instinct. Yeah. Right? And then you think, so is basic instinct to, you know, mate or to murder? And then the yeah. film seems to be like, yeah. And you're kind of like, <laughs> um, but it was, oh, okay. it was, that it was demonize, hilarious. It did demonize psychiatry. Yeah. They make, they they make references several, like a half a dozen times in the movie. Where it's like, she's get, she has a psychology degree. She's getting in your head. I have a psychology degree. They never taught me anything about manipulating people. There was, it was never like, <laughs> now remember you are, you know, you're learning this uh, almost like you're a martial artist or something. It's like, you have to use these powers for good, not evil. Responsibly, you know, never, right. Yeah. Yes. There was never anything like that, but I don't know if that was a prevent. And the funny thing is, it's not even like, apparently Jesus has a bachelor's degree in psychology or something, because it's not like she does that as a job. She's a writer, you know? Right. So I just thought that was really, really funny to me. So I don't know if at that time there was some kind of stigma, you know, maybe now I, I think uh, people going to therapy, I think is much more is not, you know, is, is not as stigmatized as it probably, it was probably like, oh, this, this person goes to therapy. There's something really wrong with them probably. And in 1992, you know, they're going to shrink their head and everything. But I think it, I that think made me, me laugh all just, through it. I always thought it was just West Virginia, but I think it was very prevalent for most of our youth that the idea of going to see a psychiatrist or God forbid, take a medication for mental health, like not me, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't need that stuff. I'm not broken in that way. I I definitely feel that in 2020, 
we collectively, not everybody, of course, but as a culture, the, there's a stigma that has lifted off of that. It's like, look, there's a huge range of mental health uh, things, and you, it's better to think of them as diseases, right? Mm-hmm. If you were sick, you would go to a doctor and you would seek medication if that was appropriate. You know, you would seek to feel better. Mm-hmm. And that these things aren't just that there's some stupid, broken person who's not trying hard enough. They have a malady, you know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not exactly the same as a virus, you know. It's just, but it, it is a medical thing that working with a professional can benefit. And sometimes medication can benefit. And, you know, it's just a person trying to do some self-care. Yeah, yeah. You know? And in the movie, Michael Douglas is, you know, he's going to Gene Triplehorn is his therapist who he's also slept with, which is, you know, very unethical. But, uh, but you know, he's very resistant to very. that. You and know, dismissive very, of it. Yeah. Very dismissive. Yeah. Another thing that, uh, you know, again, was somewhat of a dated thing is all the smoking in this. He, he almost has like a cigarette grafted to his fingers or something. It's just like, there's always a cigarette in his hands. And that's one of those weird movie things for me. I don't know if other people feel this way. I hate cigarettes. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't like to be around people smoking cigarettes, but I like smoking in movies. I don't know why. I mean, it's, I like it to see cool on camera. It looks no. cool on camera. Yeah. It doesn't look cool in real life. I think look, people look terrible smoking. Uh, but in, on camera, it looks, it just, you know, and again, that adds to, you know, this kind of uh, his character being this guy who just doesn't care about anything, you know. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's an addictive personality. Exactly, he, yeah. He, uh, you know, he can't get enough of her. He can't, and he has impulse control issues. And he, here I am being the psychiatrist, but, you know, he has trouble with the, drinking and he chain smokes smokes a lot right and compulsive he's had cocaine problems yeah 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 so i mean that's all just part of that character which i think plays into like who could get drawn he's a sort of a perfect candidate to get drawn into her web Mm -hmm. um, because in some ways he's he's much easier to manipulate right he's got these big vulnerabilities that that she could apply pressure to and i think the movie is very effective that it shows her doing that throughout. Yeah. And you're not rooting for her. You're thinking, oh, no, you know, she's playing you, man. And even the his partner's like, how do you not see this? Like, she's messing with your mind. And and he is our voice. We're like, yeah, listen to your buddy. Um, but all of that makes it incredibly entertaining and effective. I just thought it's was really well done um, movie. Yeah. So, I mean. We're about out of time here, but I think highly recommended for both of us. Is that what we're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it I don't know if I said this in the beginning, but I remembered not, I, I don't think I'd seen this since I originally saw it on VHS. Maybe I'd caught, you know, like a bit here and there on TV or HBO or something at some point over the years, but I remember not loving it. And I think I remembered, um, uh, it being more of a gimmick than it was where it was just like, Hey, look how shocking it is. We can, you know, show these, this is all, this is borderline pornography, but it's really glossy and it's these big stars and everything. And I was surprised at how 
how little of a stunt it is. And it's actually a really solid film that sucks you in. What do you, what do you want to do for next time? Cause I just had a crazy thought, but okay. if you've got something locked and loaded, I do not. I you like know, have you thought. ever seen primal fear? Is that who is in that one? Ed Norton, Richard Gere. I don't know if I have. That's a 90s one, maybe, or like early 2000s, something like that. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when it was, but as we, I didn't think of it until we were watching and we were talking about the sort of, it's not, um, it's not a sexy thriller. It's mm-hmm. not an erotic thriller in the way that, but it's definitely a, a legal thriller full of mind games. Yeah, ninety six. It's a very, it's a very young Edward Norton. I love Ed Norton. So, and if if you're not sure if you've seen it, um, it just flashed into my mind. As long, I mean, one of my reservations with doing this movie is, you know, we've never really set out a thesis about what we do and don't do on this show, and I. I for me, I like keeping it loose because it's about me talking with you and getting to watch yeah. movies I want to watch. Exactly. That being said, I'm not interested in reviewing the new Transformers no. movie. There's plenty of people doing that. And I just, you know, I don't know. Um, I just like to review whatever we find interesting. Yeah, but yeah. but it's so, so this one felt a little more mainstream than most of the stuff we do. Yeah. And I thought, are we off brand here? And then I'm like, pfft. Well, who cares? It's our show. We could do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, and she's still, I mean, it was a killer, serial, so. it's a serial killer. Yeah. So that ties in. Um, but in yeah. the vein of like, uh, in the vein of like, there's a Jekyll and Hyde element to this one that makes me think that you might really dig it. I remember watching sure. it and being like, that was really entertaining. Maybe we could watch Primal Fear for next time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good to me. One real quick thing that I wanted that I forgot to say um, with hold on. Hold on just one second. OK, sorry. You need to get out of there. You're going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck in there. You don't need to be in there. Sorry about that. OK, where do Is I? Is that your mom? Your mom? What's, what's that? <laughs> I could hear you on the mic saying, yeah, get out of there. You, you don't need to be stuck in there. And I was like, is that your mom? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mom's getting into, into the cover. <laughs> <She's>, yep. <laughs> um, so this movie, okay. Uh, I don't know where I should start, but. Um, so this movie, I looked it up in today's dollars, made $650 million. So. Why do you think this genre has gone away? You know, this erotic know. thriller thing was a thing for a while. Is it that, you know, at this time, you know, I have to admit at 19, you know, the I was I'm sure I was way more interested in hey, like there's going to be these people with no clothes on than than I was the story as much as I am now. I don't know if, you know, this was pre-internet time where just anybody could go on and you could see whatever you wanted. Um, I think this kind of, I'm not really watching these things, but I think there are Netflix shows and, and HBO shows and things like that, that are, that kind of are along these lines. I don't know. I, I just, I think it's kind of interesting that this was such a gigantic thing and you don't really see these kind of movies anymore. Yeah, I think you're on to something. I think it's got to be about, well, it's about money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at some point they stop, 
started making less money, right? Because it's not yeah. that people can't write these scripts anymore or actors are unwilling to do new. It's none of that, right? Yeah. And and the industry hasn't gotten suddenly more prudish. I think that the whatever financial winds have shifted from the audience perspective, whether it's this is the kind of movie that does really well for a date night with popcorn and you know, being all together in a the theater, movies like this are super titillating, and that that really sold a ton of tickets. Um, but in or maybe the, you know, when you had to go get a VHS, there was something that drove that. But when you switch that to streaming, it doesn't translate to the same payout. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be something like that with the rise of streaming and the internet and Netflix. That, you know. This type of film um, has cooled uh, box office wise. Yeah. Because I don't know why they'd stop making it. I mean, sex sells. Sure. Thrillers sell. Legal stuff sells. Cop stuff sells. Seems like a slam dunk. And it was for decades there. Yeah. It was, you know. um, You know, the old noir stuff was not explicit in this way, but. There was definitely electrifying, you know, male-female dynamics and relationships. Bogart was not a cuddly character on screen, you know. No. He was dangerous and rough around the edges and it just incredibly sexy. And that, those scenes where he would, you know, be talking to his girlfriend or the femme fatale or the whoever it was and they would kiss, just lightning, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're like... It's only more recently where you have the kind of explicit skin on the screen, but it's the same um, this playbook. Yeah. Um, because it's because people love it because it's dynamite. Sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, exactly. It's got to be something like that because I can't imagine people are just like, oh, that's boring old stuff. Nobody will like that. <laughs> no. Like I say, this, I mean, you put this on now and it, there's still, it's still shocking and titillating and all that. I would be all that said. I bet this movie will be remade at some point. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the next five or 10 years it would be remade. It would be hard for me to imagine someone doing a better job than this because I don't think it's all, you know, I think you have to give the director credit for so deftly handling the material. And I think you have to, not just the leads, but the supporting cast as well, all really hit their marks and exceeded expectations as far as I was concerned. My comment about Sharon Stone not being a great actor is more globally about me watching her body of work, which I haven't... (laughs) There I go again with her body (laughs) of work. Uh, I just, you know, it's... Her performances are flat. I remember more times thinking she's a little flat on screen, which is not the case in this one. I think she's no. dynamite in this movie. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like it, it's good top to bottom, and we can we can chip away at uh, this was kind of weird, or what did you think of that? But ultimately, we both really enjoyed it. That's, yeah. that's an ensemble thing of everybody, um, everybody doing – great work and the movie coming together and really representing the collective uh, success of, of all the different players involved. Yeah. I think with actors, when you have somebody like this, that like you're saying, maybe they're not great in other things and they are very good in a movie. That's the director. I think the example that I've always think of with that is Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, James Cameron got the most out of him. You know, yeah. you watch like not just the Terminator movies, but true lies. He, 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 gives, <coughs> excuse me. He gives a good performance 
<coughs> yeah, James Cameron seems to have known how to talk to that actor and yeah. really and direct really direct him. And then yeah. in other movies he's flat like you said and and you know bad, but uh so yeah, it's a lot it's so much of it comes down to the director. I think. Quite agree. Yes. All right. All right. So, so primal fear next Primal week. fear for next time if you guys are listening, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. Questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions, uh, requests. Uh, hit us up on all the socials. You can be nice. That's we need. Everybody needs. Everybody's been nice feedback to this yeah, point. In yeah. Twenty. Yeah. It's not an invitation for somebody to be mean, but you know what do you we want? We can handle us? it though. Um, yeah, we could probably dang it. Um, and uh, we're gonna do Primal Fear for next time. Another '90s thriller, um, kind of legal whodunit type of deal and i remember really enjoying it we'll see if it stands up and um otherwise have a very happy new year and we will talk to you next week adios